Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 28 through chapter 8, verse 4. Let us hear God's word to us and to the church and to the church in the world. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This is the word of the Lord. For the past couple of months, Alec and Catherine have preached a a series of sermons on the Beatitudes, that wonderful catalog of blessings from the Sermon on the Mount that mark the new age that Jesus brings with respect to the inbreaking reign of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this past Sunday, Alec preached on our identity as disciples of Jesus to be salt and light in a world in need of witnesses to this new age that God brings in Christ. This Sunday is a transitional Sunday. Alec is on sabbatical leave. Catherine is serving as head of staff while Alec is away. The sermon series on the Beatitudes has concluded, and new scripture readings will be selected as the summer weeks unfold. In the process of selecting readings for this morning, I first consulted the lectionary, but then came to conclude that there was something undone about the sermon series on the Beatitudes. That is, how they began and how they ended. And so this morning, I want us to think more reflectively about the beginning and ending of the Sermon on the Mount and to explore a perspective that examines the relation of the Sermon on the Mount to Jesus, to his disciples, and to the crowds. You see, I'm curious. I'm curious about the crowds. I'm curious about their relationship to the beginning and the ending of the Sermon 
on the mount. And so I invite you to become curious with me, at least for a little while. At the end of the fourth chapter of Matthew, read a few minutes ago, the crowds are following Jesus. Jesus has been teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and has healed many from their ailments. His fame has spread. The crowd has grown. And great crowds have followed him from Galilee and from beyond the Jordan. At the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus goes up the mountain and sits down. And the disciples come to him. Not the crowds, the disciples. And he began to teach and preach the disciples. No mention is made of the crowds. At the end of the seventh chapter of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount concludes. Now, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. He taught them, the crowds. They, the crowds, were astonished at his teaching. I'm curious. The crowds were not present at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. When did they show up? What led them to show up? If we go back and read all of the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, only the words of Jesus are included. There's no indication of the crowds gathering to hear Jesus' teaching. There's no indication that the disciples have invited the crowds to come closer. Yet at the end, they are present. They are listening. And they are astonished. I do not know what led the crowds to gather over the course of the Sermon on the Mount. I do wonder if the disciples played a role, perhaps unknowingly, as crowds of people gathered. Perhaps their attentive listening to Jesus played a role. Perhaps as people observed the attention the disciples were paying to Jesus, they were curious. Curious to hear what those attentive disciples were hearing. Curious to hear what Jesus was saying. So they came closer so they could hear. They gathered around. They crowded around. And the disciples were powerful witnesses, not because of anything they said or did, but because of their hunger for Jesus' words. A hunger that was so apparent. A hunger that was so transparent. In reflecting upon the crowds in relation to Jesus and his disciples, I decided to do more exploring of the crowds in Matthew's gospel. Technology is a wonderful tool for word searches, and I explored the NRSV Bible online for where the terms great crowds and large crowds appear. Here's what I found. Great crowds, Matthew 4.25, today's first reading where great crowds have followed him as he has been preaching, proclaiming, and healing, they follow him to the mountain. Matthew 8, 1, today's second reading, where great crowds follow him after he comes down from the mountain and observe him heal a leper. 
Matthew 8, 18. Great crowds are gathered around him as he has healed others. And Jesus orders his disciples to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 13, 2. Great crowds gather around Jesus as he begins to teach in parables, beginning with the parable of the sower. Matthew 14, 14. After John the Baptist has died and Jesus has received this news, he withdraws in a boat. When he comes ashore, he sees a great crowd, feels compassion for them, and heals their sick. Matthew 15, 30. Great crowds come to Jesus who has sat down on a mountain. And they bring the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others, and put them at his feet. And he heals them. And then large crowd, large crowd begins to show up in Matthew 19, 2. Jesus has left Galilee and has gone to the region of Judea. Large crowds have followed him. He cures them there. Matthew 20, 29, as Jesus leaves Jericho, a large crowd follows and sees Jesus healing two blind men on the roadside. Matthew 21, 8, as Jesus enters Jerusalem. In an event we remember on Palm Sunday, a very large crowd spreads their cloaks on the road as some cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Matthew 26, 47, in Gethsemane, after Jesus has foreseen to his disciples that all of them will become deserters of him that night, a large crowd with swords and clubs arrives with Judas. And so it appears to me that just as the disciples are on a journey with Jesus through the gospel of Matthew, so are the crowds. Initially following Jesus as he teaches and proclaims and heals. Coming closer to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount with curiosity for what he is saying. Possibly because of something they have observed in his attentive disciples. To me this passage this morning in the Sermon on the Mount is a pivotal passage regarding the crowds in Matthew's Gospel. From there, they follow as he continues to heal, as he teaches in parables. They bring others for whom they care to Jesus to be healed. And they themselves are healed by Jesus. They celebrate his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They also, like his disciples, desert him at the end. Perhaps we would do well to follow the example of the disciples who gather to listen attentively at Jesus' feet at the Sermon on the Mount. In this pivotal passage in relation to Jesus and the crowds, the disciples are focused on Jesus. They're not focused on the crowds. They want to hear, to learn, and to grow, and so they listen. They listen attentively, so attentively that the crowd seemingly are drawn to Jesus through his disciples. About five years ago, I first saw a YouTube video by a man named Derek Sivers on the topic of first followers. Google first followers if you would like to see it. Do it later. 
and enjoy a somewhat grainy three-minute video. Amid the apparent silliness of his video, there is wisdom about the role of followers in relation to those in a crowd who may choose to follow. Here are three of the highlights that I have gleaned from his video. First, a leader needs courage to stand alone and to stand out. Second, the first followers have a crucial role in publicly showing others how to follow. Third, people in a crowd, the outsiders, see more than just the leader. They need to see the followers because new followers often emulate followers as they learn to follow the leader. So whether we like it or not, others are watching us. Not only our actions, but also our faith. Not only our words, but also our attentive listening. His church is an active church. Engaged in the community. Interested in working for justice. Participating in ministries of compassion. Doing good things, important things, transformative things. Perhaps nothing is more powerful in what we do, in living out our faith and commitment to God and Jesus Christ, than our attentive listening. Our hunger for God's presence and God's word. Our desire to hear, to learn, and to grow in our faith and in our discipleship. Our willingness to be informed, reformed, and transformed by that word in a way that cannot help but to carry that word into the world. Our mission statement as a church posits what we hope the crowds will see, that we are called to be a witness to and for the world of the new reality that God has made available to all people in Jesus Christ. Not in us, in Jesus Christ. We seek to know Christ and to make Christ known in downtown Richmond and throughout the world. I believe the more we seek to know Christ and to be transformed by his word and risen presence, the more we are able to make Christ known in downtown Richmond and throughout the world. If we do not listen attentively, if we are not formed and reformed and transformed by God's word in Jesus Christ, we have little to take into the world. So it begins here. It begins in our listening. It doesn't stop here. It continues as we carry forward the ministries of Jesus as the body of Christ into the world. Teaching, proclaiming, healing, engaging in ministries of compassion, working for justice, working to inform, reform, and to transform structures of the world. All of these things we are called to do. But first, we are called here to gather and to listen and to realize that through our listening, we are a powerful witness to the crowds 
who may be curious as to who and what has gotten our attention. Let us pray. There is so much urgency in our lives, O oh God, when we open our eyes and ears. Often the urgency resides in matters of health and well-being, perhaps in our family and with our circle of friends. Perhaps the urgency comes as we hear cries of pain from those in our community and in other communities. Perhaps our urgency comes as we are attentive to those who are hungry and homeless or those who are aimless and those who are searching. Deepen the clarity with which we see, we pray, that we may find our deepest sense of urgency in your relationship with us as revealed in your word, in your son, and in your spirit. And with a deep sense of urgency. Help us to become more attentive to your presence and to our, your word, that our lives and we may be even more transformed to be your people and to do your work in your world. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen.